If you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, turn with me. Let's go right back to the book of Mark, right where we was at. The Lord didn't direct me anywhere different, so let's just continue on uh, with the message from this morning. Mark chapter 14, I, I am going to read verses 3 through 9 again. I had explained uh, 1, 2, and 10, and 11. Uh, that's the, the, the storm clouds. And so anyways, now let's, uh, let's focus on verses 3 through 9. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. I'll give you just a moment longer. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spinkered, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred pence and had been given to the poor and they murmured against her and Jesus said let her alone why trouble ye her she hath wrought a good work on me for ye have the poor with you always and whensoever ye will ye may do them good but me ye have not always she hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I say unto you, whithersoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of her for a more, or I'm sorry, shall be spoken of her for a memorial of her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you tonight thanking you for the good day, thanking you for the many blessings, thanking you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather here tonight one more time and to, and to worship together, uh, to worship you in song and in word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for our church family. We thank you, Lord, for the roof you put over our head. We thank you for how you provided for us, and we know that you're going to continue. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you have poured out on us, but we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. Lord God, that you sent him and give him so that we might have life, have that life eternally and abundantly. Oh, Lord, move in our midst here tonight. That's our desire. That's what we ask of you. God, we ask that you would minister to every heart here tonight. Lord, you know the thoughts in our minds. You know the, the struggles that we face, the battles that we face, the temptations. You know the everything. Lord, there's nothing that is hidden from you. So, God, I just pray tonight. Have your way and your will in our service and in our midst. Lift us up, encourage us, draw us near to you, convict us of where we fall short. Help us to be the people that you've called us to be. God, give us a desire to leave here. When we leave here, to be a witness for you. Just sharing your gospel, your good news with a lost and dying world. And Lord, uh, let me ask one thing of you for myself. I need your help tonight. So I'm asking that you'd preach me again here tonight. And God, that you'd just give me uh, the words that you'd have me to say. Lord, that you'd clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts. Lord, that you'd forgive me where I fall short. God, that you'd just anoint me, fill me full of your spirit. And Lord, just pour yourself out on us here tonight. And we'll give you every bit of the glory. Because we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. All right. This morning, I think I talked about, I made it clear, uh, the circumstances right? So uh, just real quick, real brief recap. Uh, the, here is at the end uh, that we're in the, we're at the week of the passion, right? We're, we're at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. We're just days before his, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, his death, 
his burial, and his resurrection. He's in Bethany. That's a little town just outside of Jerusalem. It is the time of the year is the Passover. The religious folks of the day want to kill him. Well, that's the storm clouds on either side. Judas Iscariot is the one that the devil has entered, and he's went on out to, uh, to meet with them and to make that possible. He, uh, we, we have here that he is in the home of Simon the leper. I pointed out to you that Simon can no longer be a leper, so that had to have been something that was in the past, right? And, and leprosy was something that was considered incurable in that day and time. Uh, and, and so anyways, it, nothing short of a miracle. And, and my guess is an encounter with Jesus, that he is someone that Jesus had previously healed. He is there. They are having dinner. Uh, I think that maybe part of it is celebration of what has happened. Anyways, whatever the case may be, uh, this is the circumstances that are happening. There is parallel accounts of this, both in Matthew and in John. There is a similar account in Luke, but I'm not sure that it's parallel. Uh, we can draw more things uh, from both Matthew's account in John's account, a couple of things that we can find out uh, from those things is that, first of all, we, find, we can find out from that uh, that uh, this right here, that, that the, the ones that murmured, the ones, right, it tells us here, let me go about this in orderly fashion so I can keep my thoughts together. All right, so what happens is Jesus is here at this dinner, and this woman breaks a alabaster box of spikenard. I think that's how you say it. Something to that effect. Very expensive, fancy ointment. Or to me, it seems like perfume. Okay? But it, it is a spice, something like that. All right? Uh, now, here's a couple things that we learn. I believe it's Matthew's account. We learn that it's Mary that does that. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. We learn that they are there in attendance also, right? Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. The same Lazarus that he's raised from the dead. The same Martha that in John's account, right, that, that we see that is busy about much serving when Jesus is at their house at din for dinner, okay? Uh, that's cumbered about much and gets upset with Mary because Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus instead of helping her serve. Another thing that we learn about this is that the, in this account, it just in general talks about them being upset, the disciples being upset because this expensive ointment, spice, perfume uh, is wasted in their opinion. That tells us in the scripture that the value of it was 300 pence. 300 pence would have been a would have been a year would have been equivalent approximately to a year's salary of a common everyday worker. So think about it today. I, inflation's crazy. I don't even I would hate to throw a number out right this second, but whatever you think the average common working person's salary is. And whatever year, whatever time period, you're looking at this and thinking about this, right? So whatever that is right now, whatever uh, average working person's salary for the year is, that is approximately what this is worth. And they're upset. They say that it could have been sold and that money could have been used for the poor. Now Jesus says some things that are important in this. Jesus says, first of all, Stop griping at Mary about this. What she has done is she has done a good thing. He repeats, he actually quotes from the Old Testament when he tells us that you will always have the poor with you. Now, what he is saying by that, he is not, this is not a dig at the poor. He is not telling us that we shouldn't do what we can to help the poor. That is not what you should get from this. What Jesus is telling us that despite our best efforts, we are never going to eradicate the problem of poverty. We are always, until the Lord comes back, 
we're always going to have a problem with poverty. There is always going to be people that are poor. And the the reason he's saying this is he's making the point that his death is approaching. That they are not always going to have him in the physical, bodily presence walking among them. And what she has done, and it seems like nobody there gets it, is in preparation for his burial. John's account brings out an important detail. John doesn't say, oh, it's just all the disciples in general griping. John says it was Judas. John says it was Judas, and Judas was upset because Judas was the treasurer. He's the one that carried the money back, and he was a thief. That tells us there that probably that was a, he had a problem with his hand, putting his hand in the money bag. And so, his, so he wasn't really concerned about the poor. He was, con, he was upset because that money did not go into the money bag that he carried. So that is the essence of the story and of the details and the things that, uh, the events surrounding it. Now, here's the message that God gave me that I need to make tonight, or the point I need to make and emphasize tonight, is the accusation, let me read it to you, is in verse 4. The last half of it. Why was this waste of the ointment made? Why was this waste made? That's the accusation. That's what I want to address tonight. People still today think it's a waste. They think it's a waste. In this case, using this ointment or this precious, uh, yeah, it says box of ointment, using this alabaster box of ointment worth a year's wages, using it on Jesus, they are determining it as a waste that would be equivalent to a, a year's life. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? If it takes you a year to make that, and it's, it, and it's used, it's wasted, it's whatever, then, then it's kind of equivalent. And what I'm trying to say is, is there is a lot of people today that would say basically the same thing, that it would be a waste to give a year of your life to the Lord. How much more do they say that it is a waste to give your entire life to the Lord? But that is, that is absolutely what, what, is being, what is being said here. That is absolutely uh, the thought and the way that people think. And here we are, right, we're in the disciples. The group of the disciples here, uh, the, the, the inner circle is a part of the disciples here, and they don't get it. As a matter of fact, I don't think I'm wrong to say I think Mary is the only one that really got it. What she did is an act of worship. Let's just talk about that for a minute. It is never a waste to worship God. Never. There is not a circumstance. There is not a time, there is not an amount of, uh, of effort, an amount of time, an amount of money, a sacrifice, or anything like that that would be a waste when it comes to worshiping God. Is he not worthy? Is he not worthy of all worship and praise and glory? Can you think there is no one else, there is nothing else that deserves our worship or is worthy of our worship? It is not a waste. And you might say, well, preacher, I would never say such a thing. 
No, you probably wouldn't say it like that. And a lot of the church world probably wouldn't say it like that. But we say it in our actions, don't we? We do. I'm going to say something. It's funny. We had a conversation. Me and a couple people had a conversation. Shiloh, I might as well say it. You were one of them. We had a conversation right after church this morning. And I was talking about She was asking me the difference between an evangelist and a pastor. And so I was explaining. And one point that I made, I hope you don't mind me saying that. It's too late. I've embarrassed you. I've said it now. You just be mad at me. Here's the good news. You've got to love me too, so you've got to forgive me. Uh, but anyways, uh, one of the differences that I pointed out is for an evangelist, it's easier to say some things than it is for a pastor. And the longer you're the pastor, the more you know your people, the more you go through things with them, and there's some things it's just a little harder to say. I'm going to say it, and it, and, and it might, doesn't directly affect any of you, but it might, it, it might, you might feel like it reflects badly on somebody you really like or know or respect, and it's the truth. One of the ways that the church today says this in their actions is how many of our churches are having church less often than what they used to. Hebrews 10.25 Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting Oh, somebody might have to help me here. But it, but it exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The assembling of ourselves together is what we're doing right now. It's having church. It is assembling together for the purpose of the edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying is a Bible word. That's not a word that you're going to catch me using uh, on a normal everyday, just an everyday conversation. But it's a Bible word. And so if we care about the word of God and we care about the Bible, we need to know what it means. Edification means the building up. Okay? That is a very in general, but it means the building up, right? That's through the teaching, that's through the preaching, that's through the praying, that's through the encouragement, that's through the fellowship that comes with the comes when we meet together. God tells us, I don't see anywhere, and I've done in-depth study, I've taught class in-depthly on the book of Hebrews before. Verse by verse, didn't skip any of it. The easy parts and the hard parts both, we went through them all. And there ain't nowhere in there where, it, where that gives us any clue or any indication that that's optional. It just, it just says it. Study it. Prove me wrong. Uh, it just plainly says it. Don't do it. There's a problem people... Now think about it. Even in the day that that, is written, that, that was... Uh, that God used one of the apostles to write that. They were having that problem then of people not uh, uh, forsaking the assembling themselves together. That's why he says as the manner of some is. And he knew that it was going to be a problem that was going to grow. And, the, and, and it says, at the end of it it says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is it? What, what do you think the Bible means when it says the day approaching? Look, there's only one way to interpret that. That's the day of the Lord. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Have you been watching the news lately? Do you not have a hint, an inkling of what it is that might be going on and what might be going around? Have, have you not felt and heard uh, in our culture and our society the outward animosity and hatred towards the church I okay those of you that's been here a long time you remember going into 2020 and the whole COVID thing I finally I mean honestly knew I'm just going to say it news I mean like 
CBS, NBC, I, I'm not so much mean like Channel 3 and their weather, you know, 10 o'clock news. I'm talking about national news. It's almost like they've completely left the information business and went whole hog into the entertainment business. It's closer to watching professional wrestling than it is to watching something that can be informative. Do you understand what I'm saying here? <laughs> News is not supposed to be, uh, it's not supposed to be entertaining like wrestling or a soap popper or a Jerry Springer show. Think about those things the next time you watch it. Tell me that I'm not right. So anyways, I finally had had enough, and I had said, I don't need it, I don't care, I'm just, I don't need it. Jesus, the Lord will let me know what I need to know when I need to know. And the only thing I'm worried about is when he calls my name, and I'm not going to miss that. And so I had kind of just pretty well, I mean, once in a while, something would come along, somebody would tell me, and I'd watch just a little clip or whatever, but I just pretty well quit. I'd had enough. Well, this whole Israel thing, and, and I, I'm interested obviously like everybody else and so I find myself watching a lot more than what I've watched in a couple years I don't remember what night of the revival it was but you should have been there that night because I kind of lit into them a little bit I watched a news this is not pundits that are on there to be opposite views. This is supposed to be the anchor that sets to the desk that's the straight man that just gives it to you, or a straight woman that just gives it to you like it is. Flat out, call us. Every, all of us sitting here called us stupid. Plainly. Not a little backhanded comment. Plainly. We're stupid. Ever sometimes wish you could just talk to somebody, they could hear me through that television set? I got a pretty good idea who's stupid, and they ain't sitting here tonight. So much the more as you see the day approaching. God knew what was coming. He knew the battle that we were going to face. He knew how hard Satan was going to rage and how hard he was going to try and how hard he was going to come after people. And he knew what it was going to take for us to have the spiritual strength to make it through that. He did not say that just because he was looking for some busy work for us. He'd done it for our own good. And we ignore it. It's popular right now. I'm being sarcastic, but it's true with the cool churches. It's popular right now to have church less often. Look, and I, I, I don't... A lot of these guys I, I, I love, and I'm not telling you anything I ain't told them because I tell every one of them every single time. I ain't found one yet that's got a response or an answer. I think that they're sincere. I, I don't think, I just, they're just misguided, misinformed. Their thoughts are wrong on this. Number one excuse that you hear this church had a, used to have a pastor that said it all the time, too. Number one thing that they would say, and I ain't talking about me either, the number one thing they'll say is, make it family time. Spend time with your family. Okay, they're right. You need family time. We need family time. It's important to spend time with our families. Now, here's the reality of the situation. That's not what none of them go home and do that night. 
it, it, I mean, just odds are, there may be a few exceptions, odds are somebody's watching the TV, somebody's doing something, somebody's not at the house, and everybody's got a device in front of their face. Now, that's, that's, just, that's just, if we want to just be genuine about whether or not that's working or not. But can I tell you what really the truth of the matter is? They're right. And I'm telling you the same thing. We need to spend more time with our family. And they're thinking about young families with young kids, you know. And that, and especially, that is absolutely right. But listen to me. If you do not start spending more time with your family in church, worshiping God, it is not a waste. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your family. Taking Sunday night off, Wednesday night, whatever night it is. Look, they know where in the Bible where it says, now we've got a good example to gather on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, and worship. We've got a good example of that. But they know where in the Bible, right? God's no respecter of a certain day. He makes that clear in Colossians. They ain't nowhere in the Bible that says it's got to be Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, all right? It doesn't say that anywhere. But what it does make clear that if that is what we do, then... We can't back up on that, right? We can't start just going less as we see the day approaching. We do what we go less and less. That's the opposite of what he told us. And I don't care if it's Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, whatever the case may be. And if the church has always only went for one service, well, you look at the times and read what the word says, and maybe you ought to start having two. Maybe you ought to start having three. And I know pastors get discouraged because there's only a handful that show up. The first church I ever pastored Sunday night was that a way they was they was eight on a good Sunday and eight on a bad Sunday night you know what I'm saying I understand and I get that but that's not a reason to close the doors down you will not ever get to stand before God and say yeah Lord but there was only a handful of us left and he says okay you got to pass on it you can skip that part of what my word said no what is it as he says to Jesus over and over? Or what does Jesus say to Peter? Is what I'm at over and over and over again. Three times at the end of John. Feed my sheep. How can you feed the sheep when the, sky, when the flock is scattered in all different directions? He knew what we was going to face. Listen to me. Is it a sacrifice? Yes. Is there a lot of things pulling all of us in different directions? Yes. Is it a temptation? Yes. Does that, any of that, make it the right thing to do? No. No, it don't. We might not say it's a waste, but in our actions, if we ain't careful, that's exactly what we say. Listen to me. If you don't remember anything else I say, remember this. Your actions and my actions always speak louder than our words. Not a waste. Let me tell you something else that's not a waste. I alluded towards it this morning. It's not a waste to walk with God. The reason I had Ann read the scriptures I had her read this morning uh, about uh, Noah and Noah walking with God. Uh, it's the reason I went into the whole thing about Adam and Eve because they walked with God. Uh, Enoch is another one who walked with God. Uh, walking with God means having a relationship with God. It means fellowshipping with God. It means drawing near to God. It's going to take effort to walk with God and have that close relationship. It's going to take effort and we're going to have to walk with Him, right? The psalmist says in Psalms, uh, uh, Psalm 73, uh, yeah, Psalm 73, 28, it says, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all my works. It's worth the effort and the time and whatever sacrifices we may have to make. It's not a waste. It is worth it. Whatever that might be, that might cost you. That might cost you a job. That might cost you a friend. That might, uh, there's a lot of things. We could go right on down the list that it might cost you. But listen to me. It's worth it. It's not a waste. I'll give you another one. 
it's not a waste to witness for the Lord. The Bible, as a matter of fact, says that it is our job to tell people about Jesus. It even goes so far in the book of Proverbs. I believe it's Proverbs 11.30 where it says, He that winneth souls is wise. Whatever happened to, to soul winners? We don't preach about soul winners. We don't talk about soul winners. We don't even like to use the term soul winners because I guess it's out of date and it's old and funny and whatever. But the Bible commands us. We are to be winners of souls. In other words, witness, you can put whatever term you want on it. That's just what the Bible uses. But it's to witness to people, to win people to Jesus. Tell them the good news. The Bible tells us. The salvation will bring times of, of refreshing, right? It goes on and even tells us of the converting of, of, of a, the, by the converting of a sinner, we hide a multitude of sins. That's what it says in, in James chapter 5 and verse 20, right? It says, let him know that he that converteth the sinner from the air of, of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Can you imagine that? I'll give you another one. It's not a waste to do God's will. Whatever that might be, it is not a waste. First John 2.17 tells us, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. Right? Everything in this whole world is going to pass away. It's going to burn up one day. It's going to be gone. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The Bible says that those that do the will of God will have eternal life, right? And those that don't will perish. It makes it pretty clear, right? Being in the will of God should be of the utmost importance to the Christian. I, I got a quote that I know, and I feel like it wasn't that long ago I shared it with you, but I absolutely love it. And so hopefully you remember it. David Livingston. He is famously quoting, quoted for saying, I would rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of the will of God. And David Livingston died in Africa. And it was not a waste, church. It was not a waste. I'll give you another one. It's not a waste to wait on the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I don't like waiting. We live in a society that uh, doesn't build patience. It builds impatience. We are, we are part of an instant culture, right? We, we, we expect things right now. We expect responses right now. We've got to the point that we have the entire world at our fingertips, not only all the information in it, but anything that you want, you can have on your doorstep just like that. But you know what? Waiting is good for us. It teaches us patience. That's a virtue, folks. I think waiting reminds us that God's in control. I even actually think that sometimes God allows us uh, to be in circumstances that forces us to realize that we are not in control, but He is. I really do. God is the one in control. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes we just need to rest and we need to refocus. Refocus on what's important. Sometimes we just maybe need to wait on the Lord and wait to receive the instructions of what it is He's going to have us to do next. Sometimes we just need to patiently wait. Because the truth is, we might not be ready for the answer. But I can guarantee you this. Now, that's all what ifs, maybes. But here's what I can tell you for sure. Whatever that reason is, God's timing is perfect. It is always perfect. It ain't ever early, 
and it ain't ever late. It's always right on time, and you can count on that. Let me give you another one. It's not a waste to resist the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's not a waste. Can I read to you a little more scripture? 1 Peter chapter 5. I can quote you verse 8, but I want to read a couple more verses with it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, let's go on. Verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. Right? You catch that? Resist. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. We know it is the will of God to resist the devil. And the Bible tells us in the book of James that if we will resist the devil, he will flee from us. We know from the scriptures that I've read right here tonight that if we will resist the, uh, resist the devil, the Lord will make us strong, he will make us stable, he will make us mature Christians. Hey, listen to me. Resisting the devil is not easy. I know that. I'm not, I, I don't mean to make it sound like this is no big deal and this is easy. It's not. And it is not just saying no once. Don't don't just say no once and then go on and think that you've done all that you can do or all that you need to do. It's not like you just say no and then everything is good. Right? It's not like you just one time tell the old devil, you ain't got no power here, you ain't got no room here, and flee, and that's it, right? A lot of times as preachers, we're bad, and I, I do it, I've done it before too, and we present it that way. We just, we just tell our congregation, right? The, the flock that we're to feed, and the, and the ones as a shepherd we're to care for, right? We just tell you, right? You just resist the devil, you just tell him to get out of here, you ain't got no business in here, you rebuke him in the name of Jesus, and then he's gone, he's out of here. That's true, but that is a very large oversimplification. Resisting is a fight. I got a little illustration, let me, or a story that I think illustrates it. Let me share that. Do you, I, I, I think some of you at least remember the old cowboy movies, old black and white. Cowboy movies. I can remember my grandfather loved to watch them old westerns. And, and I have, a, have vivid memories of being over there at his house. And he loved, and it seemed like it was always in the afternoon... And, and, you know, I think about where the Bible talks about in the book of Genesis, walking with God in the cool of the day. And it seems like it's hot summertime, but they's, you know, the windows is open and it's just a screen door and there's a nice, cool, refreshing breeze go through there. And my grandpa would have one of them old westerns on and watching them old westerns, some old black and white westerns. I'm talking about the good ones now. Uh, the ones before all the smut and, and filth and things like that, when the good guys wore white hats and the bad guys wore black hats, and it was the guys in the white hats arresting the guys in the black hats. That's what I'm talking about. You didn't know I was coming here to preach about old movies, did you? Do you remember? There was always a fight. I, I, they, it was never, it was never ever, the good guy goes and there's the bad guy and he says, stick him up, you're under arrest, I'm taking you to jail. And then the bad guy goes, oh, okay, you've caught me, here I am, let's go. It never happened that way. Do you remember how it always happened? They was a big fight. They was a lot of resisting that took place. It would start, it seemed like it almost always 
right? It would start upstairs at the hotel. It would go all the way down the stairs. It would go across uh, the, the, the bar room or the whatever it was there, out the window, through the street, down the street, under somebody's horse, through the livery stable. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> that, my friends, is resisting. And I think it's a great example of what it looks like when we resist the devil. It ain't going to be easy. It's going to be a lot of fighting. I'm talking spiritual fighting, holy fighting. I'm talking praying. I'm talking calling out on the Lord. I'm talking rebuking the devil. And yeah, you can just say it out loud, hallelujah. The old devil can hear you. You just tell him. You just rebuke him. But listen to me. Don't be foolish and think that you say it once and he's gone. Right? I'm telling you, it's a lot of resisting. Resisting the devil is not easily accomplished. And to gain the victory over Satan, you're going to have to resist. But let me tell you something. It is never a waste. It's worth it. I don't care what's going on. I don't care if it's something going on in your life personally. I don't care if it's something going on with the life of your kids or your grandkids or somebody you care about, a spouse, whatever it is. Listen to me. You, you, can, you can do battle with him, and you can resist him, and he'll flee. But it's going to take some effort, but it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Now, one last one, and we're done. It's not a waste to desire God's power in our life. The Bible tells us we are to desire the power of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 tells us to follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. Desire spiritual gifts. If you back up a whole chapter, I love how that, that's another one of them bookends, right? Chapter 13 is what we call the, the, the love chapter, but it's right in the middle of, of Paul explaining and talking about the spiritual gifts, right? And at the very end of chapter 12, before he pauses to talk about love, charity, the greatest of all of them, right? He, he pauses there right after saying, at the last verse in chapter 12, he says, covet earnestly the best gifts. And then he talks about, it talks about charity, which is love, right? Agape love. And then he picks right back up in 14.1, telling us to desire spiritual gifts. So let me ask you, do you desire the best gifts that God has to offer? We should. The Word of God tells us we should. We should desire to have power from God. Not power to show off, not power to do what we want, but power to do God's will. Power to do what God has called us to do, right? God God literally wants us to have power. It is the will of God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Bible tells us that Jesus, whenever and during his earthly ministry, he operated in the power of the Spirit. Right? If you, if you read about all that in Luke chapter 4, right? Whenever, after his temptation, it says that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Just so we're clear, in case there's any confusion, Power to do what? Not satisfy the desires of your flesh, not to tickle your own ear, not to build yourself up, not to make yourself look good, not to impress people. But power. Power to witness for the Lord, to share His gospel, share His good news. Power, right? To share the testimony that you have of what the Lord has done for you. Power to preach. The Word of God. Power to sing gospel songs, gospel music. I love, I, I was reminded of this and shared it with the church down there this week. I heard old Gene Terry one time preaching a revival and he said this. 
You, you know, there's always been a lot of thing back and forth about music and kinds of music, I mean, for a number of years now. And, and he made a point that I thought was an excellent point. And basically, he said that he wasn't near as concerned about the style of music as he was about what was being said and how it was being done, the spirit of it, and so on and so forth. But he used this phrase, he said, if it ain't got a gospel message in it, it ain't a gospel song. I thought, that's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. I sat there and thought, Brother Gene, that'll preach right there. And that's sound. That's solid. Power to sing. Power to teach the Word of God. Power to live for God. If you think that you or I, either one, can live for God by our own power... You are sadly mistaken. It is only by the power of God. It is only through His Holy Spirit that we can live a godly life, a God-honoring life. We need the power of God in our lives. And we won't get it unless we spend time with God. That goes back to walking with God. That goes back to worshiping, gathering and worshiping God together. That goes back to resisting the devil. It always amazes me. And I'm getting ready to close, Jennifer. It always amazes me. When the Bible talks about Moses' face shining. Do you remember that? After he had spent time with God, Here's what the word is trying to convey to us about that. The people could clearly see God's presence on him. So maybe, I don't play yet. Maybe, she's faster than I thought she'd be. Maybe. I should ask you the question, how often do you spend time with God? How important is it to you that you walk with God, that you spend time in the presence of God? Listen to me. Your face or my face may not light up a room like Moses' did. But, time, but I promise you, time spent in prayer, time spent reading your Bibles, time spent meditating on the Word of God, it should have such an effect on your life that people will know that you've been with God. I promise you, time that is spent with God is not a waste. It's not. And you might be sitting here going, there's so many things about this that is just beyond my ability or my reach or I can't do that or I can't be like that or I can't listen to me. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Let me remind you, of what Jesus said in verse 8 of our text tonight. She, talking about, again, remember Mary, she poured out this ointment on him. She hath done what she could. She hath done what she could. That's essentially the same thing he said about that poor widow with, that cast in her two mites. She'd give all that she had. And he said that was more than all them rich folks that was coming through there and what they were doing. She had done what she could. You know what? That's all that God asks of you. It's all God asks of me. God does not ask me to get up here when I get up here to preach. And it took me a while to figure this out. He did not ask me to be. See, whenever I first answered my call to preach, I thought Jerry Rattery was the best preacher I'd ever heard. That was my pastor. Actually, it was about the only preacher I'd ever heard. But I mean, you know, that's just, that's just how it is. That's how it goes, you know. 
And whenever I answered my call to preach, one of the hesitations I had was, I, I can't preach like Jerry, I can't even come close. One thing that Jerry, I felt like for me anyways, done a lot of and was known of for, is he had a lot of stories. Every sermon that he preached, he had some sort of story from his life to illustrate it, and they were good. I was 27 years old. I had I just barely begun to live life. I didn't have a bunch of examples and stories and stuff like that. And I thought, I can't do near as good as he can. I've heard different people. I heard Don Ratty. He used to tell me when he was a young man that, you know, he desired to uh, wish that he could preach like Billy Graham, knowing that he never could, but that's, you know, that, what he wished for. I bet there's probably a lot of preachers, especially in that era, that thought things like that. He said God told, spoke to him one day and said, I already got a Billy Graham. I don't need another Billy Graham. What he was asking for Don to do was just Don, for Don to do all that Don could. What he was asking for Justin to do is all that Justin could. He don't expect me, when I get up here to preach, he don't expect me to preach like some great preacher, you know, somewhere or whatever. He just expects me to pour my heart out and give everything that I've got, do all that I could, that's it. You know what? Whatever it is he's asking you to do, that's the exact same expectation. That's exactly what he's asking. That's what he's wanting. Same thing, Mary. He's just wanting you to do what you can. Would you stand to your feet? Maybe that's talking to somebody. Maybe that's witnessing to somebody. And you're worried. I, I can't convince them. I can't win them. I can't whatever. That's not on you. You just need to do what you can. She had done what she could. And that's what God's asking for each one of us. That's all that God asks you. And listen to me. It's never a waste to do all that you could for the Lord. Never. The altar is open. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm inviting you to come tonight. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, if you've got a need, if you've got a burden, if there's somebody you'd like to pray for, whatever the case may be, you just come right on. Maybe you've got a need. Maybe God's been dealing with your heart about something. Maybe there's somebody you want to be praying for. Whatever it is, you just if you can, you just come right on, all right? Don't you hold out any longer. You just come right on.